0: We have a God who is with us. He gets it. He understands our emotions. Yeah. I want to thank each person that's participated in the service so far. It's been such a blessing. On a Saturday evening, let's see, here we go. On a Saturday evening several years ago, my wife and I found ourselves at an exclusive piano concert in a well-to-do section of Paris, France. We were there on a, on a vacation. And uh, the, so the concert took place in this large, beautifully furnished room in the home of a wealthy Parisian supporter of the arts. And my wife and I were among maybe 20 or so guests at this exclusive concert, the honor of hearing one of the best up and coming musicians, really, in the world. Uh, no exaggeration there, an incredible musician. This, this young virtuoso played for about an hour on the piano a beautiful selection of, of different classical pieces. And we were just soaking it all in. My wife had her, her phone out and she was, just, she was recording it. It was just, just this incredible moment. And um, afterward, we, had, we were, after the concert, we were served hors d'oeuvres. It was so fancy. You know, we had the chance to socialize with these wealthy Parisians who fortunately spoke amazing English, and so we were able to, to talk with them. Um, and it was all this, this incredible experience. And it didn't cost us anything. It was completely free. If we had tried to buy tickets to a concert like this, an exclusive private concert, we probably could not have afforded it. But there we were with this wealthy group of people enjoying some of the finest piano music we've ever heard. And it all happened because earlier that day, when we were in church, a young man approached us and he welcomed us to his church. He engaged us in some friendly conversation and then he invited us to his concert that he would be performing later on that evening. (laughs) Yeah. We got in, and we were treated like royalty because we were with the musician doing the concert. If it were not for this young man inviting us, there's no way we would have been at this concert. I mean, it was an exclusive concert. Tickets were not sold. People were invited to it. And prior to that day, we didn't know anyone in Paris. But a way was made for us to be part of this exclusive gathering because of the person that we were with. Because of who we were with. Now, if you believe in what the Bible has to say about heaven... You've probably, in just a wonderful place, you know, the Bible describes it to be, you've probably at some point in your life, perhaps even now, questioned if you are going to get in. Right? You ever wondered that? God, am I going to get to heaven? Perhaps, you know, that's that's still a, a current question in your mind. Now, the idea of living in paradise forever, surrounded by nothing but joy and rest, I mean, it's, it's an attractive idea for obvious reasons, right? It's, it's wonderful. But, but how could such a place exist, a place of perfect joy and a perfect rest? How could such a place like this exist if it was not exclusive, If God just allowed anyone to get in, how could it be a joyful place? How could heaven be a wonderful place if there were self-centered people there, hurtful people, greedy people, trying to take from other people's golden mansions and all this stuff? They would ruin it for everyone else, right? And yet, as you think about it, as I think about it, we're all prone to acting in these ways, acting in ways that would disqualify us to be in a place of perfect joy and rest. But even though none of us, no one is good enough to get in based upon their behavior, and Pastor Brandon talked about this a little bit last week, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. Even though this is our situation, God has provided a way. He's provided a way. For anyone, actually, for anyone, regardless of what you've done, who you are, what your background is, anyone. Anyone to make it into this exclusive gathering in heaven. So lately we've been uh, doing a sermon series called Good News to All, where we've been looking at the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, and how it's good news to everyone. How God has provided salvation for everyone. And so this morning I'd like to continue our series by, by looking at a teaching of Jesus that shows us how sinful people like me and like you who have no way to earn our spot in heaven, can qualify to get in. The title of the message this morning is The Way to Heaven. And as we do here, before we read the Bible, I'd like to pause and ask for God's blessing. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for providing a way. And I also want to recognize that we have a hard time finding that way sometimes. And so, God, we give your spirit permission to lead us in the way that you would have us go. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the text that we're going to look at here is John chapter 14, verse 6. I'd love for you all to join me in reading that, and we'll we'll read that in just a moment. Uh, If you'd like to use the Pew Bible, it's page 1081 in the Pew Bible, John 14, verse 6. Now, here in John chapter 14, this is the end of Jesus' ministry. Um, He's speaking words of encouragement to his distressed disciples. They have just celebrated the Passover that we call the Last Supper. Uh, They've just eaten the Passover meal. And during that time, Jesus announced some things that caused distress in his followers' hearts. He announced to them that one of them would betray him. That was not good news. And then he says, I'm going away. And where I'm going, you cannot follow me. I'm going to a place that you can't go right now for three and a half years jesus was this solid constant in the lives of the disciples and he looked after them he shepherded them he took care of them he prayed for them he prayed with them he taught them he lived life with them and showed them how to live and being in his presence changed their lives They had a life-transforming experience that was nothing like anything they'd ever experienced in their life before. They loved Jesus, and they just wanted to be with Jesus all the time. And so now you can only imagine that as he makes this announcement that he's going away, and they're not going to be able to follow him, they're not going to be able to join him, the place that he's he's taken off to, he's going to leave them behind. You can only imagine the, the distress that must have been in their hearts as they heard this announcement. I'm sure it was like a knife being turned in their chest as they heard his words. Jesus, as he always is, he was mindful of their distress, just as we heard in that song. He was mindful of the distress of his followers, and with a heart full of compassion, he encourages them by saying the words that we find in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Yeah, it might sound like the end of the world for you. Jesus was everything to them, and he's like, I'm going away. But he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place just for you. And I'm going to come back and take you to be with me so that we can be together forever. But then in John chapter 14, verse 4, if you're following along there, verse 4, Jesus seems to assume that the disciples were more qualified to follow him than they really were. In John chapter 14, verse 4, Jesus says that you know the way to the place where I'm going. Now, at this point, if we could just hit the pause button, and if we could have passed out little pieces of paper to all the disciples and given them a quick pop quiz and say, please write down on this piece of paper, where is he going? (laughs) Chances are, they would have all failed. And we get this indication because in in, in verse 5, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. (laughs) And so if we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? Now, in saying this, Thomas gives voice to a false assumption that we are all prone to thinking. We're all prone to making this false assumption, and that is this. When it comes to being saved, people assume that if we know what to do, then we can do it. Thomas is like, you just tell us where you're going, and then we'll figure out the way. That's basically what he's saying there in that statement. How could we know the way if we don't know where you're going? And it's an assumption that if we just knew what to do, then we could do it. Now, this way of thinking leads Christians to witness by merely giving information. Giving information is important okay? But it leads us to witness by merely giving information, by stopping just at that, and we think, man, if people just knew that Sunday is not the biblical Sabbath, then they could just do the right thing and and be fine. Or if they knew that eating pork is bad, then they could just change their behavior, and then they would be ready for Jesus to come back. Yes, information, of course it matters. Jesus taught the importance of keeping the Sabbath, of following Christian standards. He taught truth. He, he conveyed information full of gospel truth. It's important. But he taught these truths not because he believed or not because he thought that we can behave well if we just know enough. That's not why he taught these things. He taught truth to lead us to him. That's why he taught the truth. Notice how he responds to Thomas in John chapter 14 verse 6. Jesus answered to Thomas's question, how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is stating this incredible truth to us that access to truth, access to life is all found in Jesus. Now when Jesus says, I am the way, he is guarding us against a popular belief that's been around for a really long time. So um, you may be familiar with the story uh, of the Tower of Babel. After the flood, spoken of in the book of Genesis, the Bible tells us that people got together and they started building a city. They were perhaps thinking about the flood and maybe feeling a little bit vulnerable. Certain they were, certainly they were sensing their disconnect between life here on earth and heaven. They longed to be closer to heaven. They longed to have access to heaven Perhaps they sensed their vulnerability as they were thinking about the flood and, and maybe another flood coming along or some other disaster, and they didn't want to be scattered across the face of the earth. They came together and they say, come, let's make a name for ourselves and let's build a city. And in this city, they decided to build a tower. The Bible says that the tower was designed to reach to the heavens. And they did this because they thought that getting to heaven was up to them. And the way that they were going to do it was through hard work. It was going to be through skill and strength and careful organization. And hopefully they had enough of these things, because if they didn't, they weren't going to be a part of the exclusive gathering in heaven. Now, to save them from this horrible experience of them trying to work their way to heaven god confused their language and today we still associate the word babel or babble with the unintelligible speech of a baby right but it's significant that this word which means confusion babble it's made up of two hebrew words bab which is the word for gate, and El, which is the word for God. So this word that is used to to describe confusion is really two words put together, and those two words literally mean Babel or Babylon. That's the Akkadian version of the Hebrew Babel. Those two, those words put together mean the gate of God, the gate of God. They were trying to make or find their way to the gate of God. And in so doing, the result was confusion. Now, this story brings out a very important spiritual principle that holds true today. Whenever we try to work our way to heaven, the result is confusion. Have you ever found or come across somebody, or I don't know, maybe you've been in this place yourself, where you tried Christianity and you gave up on it? Maybe you tried to do everything right. You're like, oh, I'm supposed to keep these rules. All right, I'm going to try really hard. Um, Maybe you tried to to follow the Christian practices, or maybe you tried to get rid of some habit that was inconsistent with the Christian life, and you couldn't do it. Or maybe you came to church, and you looked around, and you saw other people trying to do the same thing and failing, you're like, this place is full of hypocrites. I don't want to be here. This is the problem that spiritual confusion results when we see the way to heaven as an emphasis on our behavior. When we define the way as our attempts to do good, it's always going to fail. And a prime example of that are the religious leaders during Jesus' day. In Judaism, When someone said their prayers daily, when they performed these ceremonial washings, like if you read the the Gospels, you'll hear hear this coming up. Jesus being asked by the religious leaders, why don't your disciples wash like everyone else? They they would have these ceremonial washings. Or um, if someone offered the, the proper sacrifices in the temple, or if they abstained from work on the Sabbath, then the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders... Would say that that person is a follower of the way, and we know that they're a follower of the way because they got the behavior right. In contrast, if someone was sick, and and or, or for some reason could not perform these religious practices, maybe if they were their occupation like was a shepherd, and they're keeping track of sheep all day, and they're not able to perform the ceremonial washings because they're watching these sheep, then according to the Jewish religious leaders these individuals, their membership status in God's exclusive group would be in question because their behavior was not there. They defined the way, and they actually use this expression as the way to refer to following the rules. Well, as important as behavior is, I mean, it's certainly important. It's it's an expression. It's an outgrowth of what's inside of us. As important as behavior is, according to Jesus... Behavior is not the way to heaven. That's not what he says here. Thomas is like, How can we know the way? Jesus says, Behavior is not the way to heaven. John 14, verse 6 says, The way is a person. Jesus says, I am the way. We're not talking about a to do list, we're talking about a relationship. I am the way. In this life, we can face some difficult circumstances, and sometimes the problems that we face seem impossible to solve. If you were just pause right now and take inventory on your life, perhaps you can come up with a few things like, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to solve that. Yeah, I don't know how I'm going to resolve that relationship. I don't know how I'm going to resolve that issue with my finances, whatever it might be. We, we have problems that we face that, that sometimes they can seem impossible, but with Jesus— There's always a way. There's all these examples in the Bible that illustrate this. When Israel left Egypt and found themselves trapped on the shores of the Red Sea as as the Egyptian army is is coming almost there to, to destroy them, Jesus made a way through the sea he opened the waters. They went through on dry land. Then he closed the waters and delivered them from their enemies. Jesus made a way. When they journeyed in the desert and after a while they ran out of water, Jesus made a way for water to come out of a desert rock and enough water so that everyone had sufficient water to drink and there was enough for their animals too. Jesus made a way. When they ran out of food, Jesus made a way for bread to appear on the ground for 40 years. Following Jesus led the people of Israel into some real predicaments. But in every predicament, because they were with Jesus, there was always a way through. Regardless of where you might find yourself today, you can find the way through. To heaven in Jesus. Whether it's your marriage, whether it's your work, whether it's an issue in planning the future or your finances, whatever it might be, Jesus is the way. He is the way. John's gospel was, was written in the Greek language, and In the Greek text here in John chapter 14, verse 6, there's a special emphasis that is placed on the way. And this special emphasis points us and and underlines the fact and the truth that Jesus is the singular way. He is the only way. There's no other way. According to Jesus, there's no other way to the Father, no other way to life, no other truth but that which is found in Jesus. He is the only way. And although this sounds very exclusive, this is an exclusive, it is, it's an exclusive declaration that Jesus is the only way. If Jesus were not the only way, then salvation would not be accessible by all. It has to be exclusive in order for it to be accessible by everyone. Let me explain that a little bit. Because only Jesus has what we need. He's the only one that has what we need. He has the power to overcome sin, which destroys our lives. He has the power to overcome death, to call people, the dead, to life. He has the power to take us to heaven. Jesus is what we need. I mean, who else can do this Who else can do this? There's a lot of people that claim they're different gods out. Who else can do this? Who else can overcome sin? Overcome the power of the grave? Who else has taken anyone to heaven? Jesus is the only way. And because of who Jesus is, the way finds us. The story of Jesus entering our world can be so familiar to us, like you're like, oh yeah, Pastor Ron, I'm going to check out here because I already heard this story. It can be so familiar to us that we lose sight of the significance of God leaving heaven and coming down to this earth to be with us. God understands how prone we are to wander How prone we are to get distracted, to become completely lost. And so he doesn't just send messages to hopefully direct us to the place where we find the way. He brings the way to us. He sees us in our miserable condition. He comes to our lowest point. There's no place that we can go and not be confronted with the way. Jesus is there the lowest places in life. And at our lowest point, he invites us to know him. No one is excluded from God's love. Like a loving parent searches for a lost child. If you have ever searched for a lost child, you don't know where that child is. You know the intensity that's there. This is the way God pursues us in the life of Jesus, pursuing us. Looking for us. God is pursuing everyone, and if we're willing to give up our egotistical desire to work our way to heaven, then we'll experience the way in Jesus. And when we accept Jesus' way, there is nothing that can keep us from heaven. In describing himself as the way, Jesus emphasizes the journey over the destination. A journey can be both a good thing and a bad thing, right? I mean, if you've ever been in a car too long, you've probably said, when is this trip ever going to end? When are we going to get there? I want it to end. I'm tired of being on this journey. We've been in the car with screaming children for too long. When are we going to get there? Like, sometimes the journey is not a good thing, right? But if your journey is a loving relationship with someone, who would want that to end? Although heaven is a destination, heaven is not the end. Don't miss this. It's not the end any more than a wedding is the end of a marriage. Or at least it's not supposed to be, right? Usually people get married because they have had an experience with someone else that is so good, they want it to last forever, right? They don't want it to ever come to an end. It's, it's so good. It's so wonderful. They've experienced so many incredible things with this other person that they want to commit for life. They don't want it to end. A relationship with Jesus is like this. It's a wonderful journey that can last forever. Yes, yes, there may be some dips. There may be some valleys. There may be a plateau. But as long as we are with Jesus, we are on the way to heaven. Yeah, in every circumstance, Jesus is the way to heaven. In the valley on the plateau, in the dip, in the bumps, in the pain, in the hurt. Jesus is there leading us. Jesus is there as the way to heaven. But practically speaking, how do we do this? How do we, how do we know the way? I mean, since, since Jesus is in heaven, how do we experience him? How do we experience this wonderful journey of knowing him like the disciples did when he was on this earth? Well, fortunately, in John chapter 14, Jesus is actually preparing the disciples, preparing people to experience him the way, the truth, and the life when he is gone, when he has ascended to heaven. And in John chapter 16, verse 13, he tells us how to experience him, how to know him even after he is gone. He says that the spirit, his spirit, he's going to send his spirit to this earth and the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. These can be kind of nebulous things, kind of these can be defined and these words can be defined in different ways and fortunately, Jesus defines what truth is in the next chapter. I don't have it up there, but you can flip the page to it. in John 17, verse 17, he says that God's word is truth. The Bible is how we find the way. This is the revelation of Jesus. And as we read it, something very special happens. By the way, let me say something about reading the Bible. The Bible is a different book than other books. How do you read the Bible? Have you ever opened the Bible and just been like, how do I do I do this? It is like digging for gold. It takes effort. It takes perseverance. But I want to share something with you based upon everything that we've been saying today about how to find the way in the the Bible. You do it like this. You read the Bible looking for Jesus. That's about as simple as I can put it. You read the Bible looking for Jesus. And as you look for Jesus. He has promised that His Spirit will guide you into all truth. In other words, His Spirit will reveal the way, the truth, and the life. If you look to the Bible and read it to prove your point, I can't guarantee it's going to turn out well. If you look to the Bible to try to Learn something so that you can impress someone else with your spiritual knowledge. What's that worth? The Pharisees did that. But if you look to read the Bible, to know Jesus, then the Spirit of God will reveal the way to you. That's why the Bible matters. It's not some old, dusty text that no longer has relevance today. It's current because it reveals the one who is present tense. The way. So today I want to invite you to cover new ground on your journey with Jesus. Perhaps that means starting. Perhaps that means opening the Bible and, and prayerfully asking Jesus to reveal himself. Perhaps that means recognizing that your attempts to save yourself do not work, and you have no other option but to accept Jesus as the way. Maybe you've been following him for a while. Whatever it might be, he is the way. There's progress. There's, There's new experiences on that journey. I invite you to cover new ground today in your journey with Jesus. Every day he's leading you to know him more. Will it involve risk? Yes, it will. Will it require effort on your part? Probably. Will it be uncomfortable? Maybe. Will it be worth it? Absolutely. Go confidently with Jesus, wherever he leads, knowing that when you are with him, you are on the way to heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Forgive us for our pride in thinking that we can do your work and take ourselves to heaven. God, may we accept the way that you have brought to us. May we accept Jesus. And God, I want to pray for myself and for each of my friends here, each of my church family. I pray, God, that you would open our eyes, that you would breathe upon us your spirit, that as we open the Bible and as, the, as we read it, that we would not give up, that we would keep looking for Jesus until you reveal him to us. Thank you for being the way. In Jesus' name, amen.